Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. The title of my message this morning is Family Matters. Now you can interpret that one of two ways. Family matters, like as in family does matter, which we would probably all agree with that. Or the second interpretation of that is family matters, the things that goes on in families that are good, bad, and ugly. And uh, we'll deal with a little bit of both of those things today. And if you have your Bible, your mobile device, whatever, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And while you're doing that, I'm going to share a little story with you, okay? Listen carefully today. There's a story about a Little League coach who, during a game, said to one of his players, Do you understand what teamwork is, young man? Little boy nodded, Yes, sir. Do you understand that what matters is whether we win as a team? And the boy said again, Yes, sir. And the coach continued, When a strike is called and you're out at the first base, you don't argue or curse or attack the umpire. Do you understand all of that? The boy nodded again, Yes, sir. Good, the coach said. Now go over and explain that to your mother. Yeah, families. Family matters, huh? I can remember back when my my son, Austin, he's 30, what is he, 33 now? 32, excuse me. Let's not get one ahead of the game. I'm old enough as it is. Austin's 32. And he was always uh, tall for his age. And I remember when he started playing soccer. I didn't know anything about soccer. I didn't watch soccer. I didn't pay attention to soccer. I just knew that when Austin reared back and kicked the ball... He could kick the ball. He played the position that was just in front of the goalie. I don't, is that a forward? Anybody know anything about soccer? You got, we got soccer players over here, don't we? So Austin played in front of the goalie. He wasn't the goalie, but he was the next line of defense there. And, it, and I'd watch Austin. He, I think he was in the fourth grade, maybe, fourth, fourth grade. But he was already taller than me and, uh, and getting pretty bulky. And he would rear back and kick that ball, and it would go the full length of the field. So we started calling him the foot. Austin was the foot because we knew that if the ball came anywhere near him, it was going to the other end of the other end of the field. So, yeah, and I was one of those parents. I was one of those loudmouth, obnoxious. Oh, it's so funny. We'd start out the game, and all of us parents and many of us worked together at the church up at Champion Center at Tacoma. And we'd start out. We'd all be shoulder to shoulder, man. We were cheering our kids on. They all played together. It was fun to watch. And by the end of the game, my group of friends had all moved down the sidelines quite a ways, and I was there by myself. Even my wife would pack up and move. She didn't want to be around her obnoxious husband who was cheering on his son and telling the refs how to, pl- how to call the game that I knew nothing about. So don't be that guy, okay? Whatever you do. Don't be that guy. Don't be that mom. Don't be that dad. So family matters. The American family is under intense attack. And, uh, and at times it is crumbling all around us and it's a sad state of affairs. And what happens is Satan is doing his best to break down the family. Uh, I think... I, I watch it on the Portland News, and I just get angry, and I and I, I just want to put my fist through the TV if that was if that would help. 
But I watch these um, Portland transvestites go into the libraries and all of their transvestite gear and their makeup and their big hair and promoting their lifestyle. And they're reading to four and five-year-olds at the library. And I'm like thinking, yeah, what is their ulterior motive here, huh? Is it to read to little children or is it to promote the lifestyle that is so degraded in the eyes of God that that's, that's what they do? They're attacking the family culture and it, it threatens to destroy us as a culture. If, if Satan can destroy the family, he can take out a whole lot of folks. Amen? So today we're looking at God's purpose for family life. God's purpose. God's design. So turn over to Genesis 2. You're already there. Number one in your notes, God created family. He created us. He placed us in families. It was his idea. It was a great design on his part. And uh, God placed you in your family in a very sovereign way. None of us had a choice of the family that we were part of, right? I couldn't help the fact that I only got to five foot six because I got there in the sixth grade and I've been this height right here since I was 12 years old. Now, my son, he got a little bit of the blessing from the Lawrence side of the family because all of Teresa's brothers are all over six foot. So Austin just kept on going and going and going, and I was cheering him on. Dude, this is wonderful. You don't have to be short like your daddy. You can be taller. That's wonderful. So we didn't get to choose which family. We're, and I love my folks. Don't get me wrong. But dad's 5'6", and I think mom's 5'3". So I didn't have a snowball's chance, and well, you know what I mean. None of us asked to be born into, or nor we could, could we choose, which family to be raised by, right? We didn't have a choice in the matter. Unless you got up and got a little older and you left one family and went for another. I don't know. I wouldn't know about that. I've been with the same group quite a while now, about 64 years. So whether your family is large or small, whether your family has two parents or just one parent, lots of siblings or no siblings at all, you're adopted or you're in a foster situation, God, I want you to understand today, is sovereign over your family situation. Let's look at Genesis 2, uh, and I'll begin reading in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He was pretty straightforward, wasn't he? The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. Stop right there for a minute. I've read this passage in my lifetime at least a hundred times, okay? Maybe more. I don't know. But I've read this story, and we all can kind of quote this story. For the first time this week, I figured out that God just didn't make man out of the dirt. Every animal that you see on the face of the earth, he says, he formed it out of the ground, all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. Dust to dust, I guess, huh? God's a pretty good design artist, don't you think? He's got a great sense of of creativity. He's got a great sense of humor, I think. Um, Yeah. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. I would have been like like to have been uh, a fly on the wall that day. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, there was no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, oh, my Lord. Huh? The man said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. 
Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Remember that last little line there because we're going to go on here in a minute and the shame sets in and it's a sad situation. So, But the bottom line in that whole thing right there was God didn't want us to live alone. He didn't want us our existence to be one of loneliness. He, he wants us to enjoy the earth, to enjoy His creation. And throughout the Bible, family is revealed as God's ordained institution. It was God's idea. It's a great idea. And that God-ordained institution, it supplies security. It supplies identity. That's where you get your last name. Shalise is always asking us questions about where we came from. Well, Papa, how much Irish are you? Because she knows that Patterson is Irish. Well, how much Indian do you have in you, Papa? Because she knows that my grandmother on the Patterson side was 100% Native Indian. And uh, so Shalise is always asking these very inquisitive things. But it gives us our identity. It gives us our heritage. It gives us a connection to those around us, our community around us. It gives us continuity in our lives and closeness for people that God puts in our lives. That's what family does. It's what it's designed to do. It gives us all that identity. It gives us roots. Anybody ever seen the movie Roots years and years ago? They figured out in the course of that movie where they came from, what, their, what the ideology was there. Amen? It is family is the basic building block of all human culture. It started back in the New Test or the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, and it carried right on through the entire Bible. So that basic building block is from God, and God says, hey, your family matters to me. Amen? Number two today, family life is spoiled and stained by sin. It's a sad statement, sad state of affairs, but it's reality. You know how it goes. Not only does Genesis give us our origins, origins, it also shows us what has gone wrong with the family along the way. Even before the first child was ever born on the face of the earth, mankind blew it. Did he not? Mankind blew it. I would have kind of liked to have seen what it was like to live in the garden with all the supplies and all that good stuff. that you. And that brings us over to Genesis chapter 3. Just flip the page over. Let's look at Genesis 3, beginning in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and she ate it. She also gave some to her gullible husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Dummy. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Remember back in the last chapter? They were naked and didn't have any shame. A little different story when we get over to the middle of chapter 3. Yes, she gave some to her husband, and he ate it, and it was a sad story. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Well, there's God's creativity coming again. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you, Adam? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, Lord, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And I love God's reply. And I got this in big, bold letters in my notes. Who told you that you were naked? Huh? What's up, Adam? What's going on? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, (laughs) it's like this, God. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Right off the bat, he's blaming his wife for for his problems. Amen? And because of this historical event, okay, all of us, have, all the families on the face of the earth have issues. It's called sin, 
and sin's consequences. Amen? Sometimes we talk about, well, dysfunctional families, don't we? My family was very functional for the first 39 years of my life. Then my folks went through a divorce. And boy, it just blew things apart. I mean, holidays got ugly and weird and wacky and oh my goodness. So sometimes we can all look in the mirror and say, yeah, we put the D in dysfunctional. We tell people, well, I have issues because my parents, they had issues. And they had issues because their parents had issues. And all of us have issues because the very first set of parents had issues. Amen? I think back about my grandparents. Now, I was raised in a Christian home. My dad got saved when I was, uh, I was just a little guy. In fact, I think he got saved on the Sunday. I was about nine months old, and they were bringing me to the, to the leadership to be uh, dedicated to the Lord. And that's the day my dad gave his heart to the Lord and also basically surrendered to the idea of being in ministry. And uh, so, but I think back about my grandparents, one generation before them, my grandparents, and um, I've known Grandma and Grandpa Dalton most all my life. That was my grandparents on my mom's side. And they were, he was a tough old bird. Uh, he, got, he made his way the first time he ever came from North Carolina to California. He rode the, the rail cars. He rode boxcars. And that's how he got from point A to point B to come out to see his family in California. And then when he went home, I think somebody bought him a train ticket, and then the whole family, kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies, they loaded up and they moved out to Northern California. But he was a tough guy. Didn't accept Jesus. I think I've shared this with you. You've heard me say it. He didn't accept Jesus until he was 99 on his deathbed. So, And on the Patterson side, um, they're just a really weird bunch. Um, Grandma, and I don't remember her name, forgive me, but she died when my dad, in a house fire when my dad was about five. So, and there are nine siblings on my dad's side of the family. And uh, Grandpa Tom was a tough old guy. And uh, he used to wear, wear a forty-five pistol strapped to a peg leg that he carved out himself. Yeah, the Pattersons, I tell you, we could write a book on weird and dysfunctional. But Grandpa Tom, he lost that leg jumping rail cars too. And he, got, he went to jump up on a rail car and jump, hit the ladder and missed. And that leg went under the wheel and he lost it. And they sewed him up and fixed him up. And he... he, uh, he hewed out of a log or something or a stick or whatever. He made his own leg, and that's where he strapped that 45. I've seen a picture of him with that 45. I'm like, oh, my Lord, what, are, what did I come from, you know? Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's move on, shall we? It's not all about the Patterson clan today, but we're a weird family, and, yes, we can put the D in dysfunctional sometimes. But we'll deal with that a little further down the road here. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Boy, if you got your Bible open, underline that one or scribble that down. You must rule over it. God has equipped us to do just that. Amen. Verse eight. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, oh, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I do not know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? How many times have we heard that? That little one liner right there. Am I my brother's keeper? Is he really my responsibility, Lord? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God already knew. He saw it happen. He was watching from heaven when that whole thing went down. 
I think he was just putting Cain's feet to the fire just a little bit at that point in time. But you look at this and you think, it's the first sibling rivalry in mankind's history. There was fierce competition. There was ang- Look at these sinful things popping up here. There was anger. There was jealousy. There was temptation. There was deceit. It was the first murder ever happened on the planet, okay? The first cover-up, trying to cover up the murder. And the curse and consequence of sin within the first family unit. And then it just goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it perpetuates. And here we are today. Number three. In your notes, regeneration and renewal only come through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get there. There's no, other, no way around it. Romans 5 tells us, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death, through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account. Where there is no law, they had to be taught before they could fully understand the situation. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern for the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflows to the many. The blood of Christ, bottom line, it covers everybody that's ever been born since that day. Verse 16, Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? And I could go on and continue to read and read, but you get the, you get the idea. It's only through Jesus Christ, His gift of love, the redemption that He brought through the gift of love and the, His sacrifice that we have a renewed identity, and we have a purpose, and we have a function. Amen? Jesus holds and does make the difference in our relationships and also in our family. It's the same blood that he shed then that covers our families today. It should bother us when we look at the statistics showing the breakdown of the family in our culture are pretty much the same whether you're in the church or you're out of the church. That's a sad state of affairs. Why are the divorce rates in the church just as high as the world. They don't have Jesus to depend on. Why are those, why is that out of balance? I think the current divorce rate is about 56% nationwide, whether you're in church or you're not in church. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because he's given us his word. He's given, he's covered us with his blood. And yet that goes on. Why are marriages so weak? The first little thing that comes along and somebody's got to pack a suitcase and go out the door rather than stay and work through the process. Teresa and I have been married 46 years. And, uh, and some of you have been married that long or longer. And you know that you can't just pack a bag and leave and hope for the best. Huh? You can't just send her back to mama's house and hope for the best. You have to stay and work through it face-to-face, nose-to-nose, and make sure that the problem that has arisen to the surface is addressed and taken care of. Amen? Why is there no difference between the morality and behavior of those in church and those in the world? 
Now, not talk about you guys, but think about it, okay? You guys are pretty good folks. And you know how to walk uprightly before the Lord and keep your confession of faith pure before Him. But if you look at the church in general, it's almost, um, it's almost a laughingstock of what the church has become. There are big churches with lots of people in them in the Portland, Vancouver area. But I guarantee you half of the folks sitting in the pews, they don't know if they're coming or going. As my dad used to say, they, didn't know, they don't know if they're a foot or horseback. Yeah, because they don't really carry that relationship with Jesus Christ as their Savior. Maybe they've just shown up and it's a great, it's a cool church. Pastor's very cool. And, uh, and they play really cool music, you know. It's like a rock and roll show kind of thing. And they're very well entertained. But, you know, Jesus is the cycle breaker. That's what I love about him. He is the cycle breaker. I thought about the Patterson plan again. Uh, I mentioned to you my dad is one of nine children. And uh, he's the only one left alive. In fact, we're taking him to Maui here in a couple of weeks to celebrate his 85th birthday. I called him on Father's Day. I said, hey, Pop, you want to go to Hawaii in October? And I said, we're going to go celebrate your 85th birthday. He just turned 85 a week or so, two weeks ago. And he says, hey, yeah, you bet, man. I, you don't have to ask me twice. I said, okay, we'll go, to, we'll go to Hawaii. But anyway, I thought about the Patterson family again. And growing up, my dad put the fear of God in us. I mean, literally, the fear of God in us regarding alcohol. And the reason he did that is his other eight siblings all died alcohol and drug-related deaths. There was a real strong thing about addiction in the, the, the last generation of the Pattersons. And he came along and gave his heart to God, was spirit-filled, and preached the gospel for 40 years. And he broke that cycle through Jesus Christ. So I didn't have to live with that. But I'll tell you what, for me and my house, we don't partake of alcohol. I know better. Um, for you, you know, you might drink a glass of wine with your meal, or you might have a beer while you're watching a ball game. I don't want to be on anybody's case that way, but I've had one beer in my lifetime in high school, and I had one glass of wine and spit it out on an airplane coming home from Korea. And I thought, what do these people see in this crap? This is terrible. This is not good-tasting stuff. I don't know if that was just the airline wine or what, but I just don't need that in my life. I, I choose to live without that. And we've been able to break the cycle. You know, and Jesus was raised in a human family. Um, Mary and Joseph were his parents on the earth. He submitted to the leadership of these people. He lived to make the ultimate sacrifice, and that's to die for us a helpless race. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, through Jesus and the cycle of sin in us has been broken, things like family violence can be broken, has been broken by the blood of Jesus. The cycle of addiction that I mentioned, he can break that thing in your life. It can stop with you. It doesn't have to go any further. You can depend on him and leave it in his hands. The cycle of family poverty. I drive around and I see these folks that are homeless. And I know there's some issues there with mental illness, and they've lost the will to live and all of that. But I think, in my mind, I'm like, well, why don't they go get a job? Because everybody's got a sign in the window of their business that says, help wanted. And I know these folks can wash dishes, and they can flip burgers, and yet they go on and choose to remain homeless. And I feel like they've got a poverty mentality. It's easier to be homeless and live in poverty and hope for a handout than it is to work. I don't get that. I, I couldn't understand that. There's also the cycle of anger. Some of you dealt with that when you were growing up. You were in a home that there was a lot of anger um, focused on you or your mom or your dad or one of the other siblings or whatever. 
That cycle can be broken. Jesus came to break the cycle of sin in our families, and that way he renews and regenerates us individually. It may not be a wash completely across the board with everybody under one roof, but he can start with us, regenerate us, our lives individually, and then that influences the person next to us at the dinner table and the person next to us in in the bedroom over down the hall kind of thing. John chapter 13 and 34 says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This was Jesus speaking. John 15 and 12. Most of you can probably quote these. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus was trying to get the point across, don't you think? So this one command about loving one another as I have loved you, changes everything in our dynamic, in our world dynamic, in our lives. Jesus pours his, heart, his love into our hearts that we can love others just like he loved us. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and he uses family relationships as a model of how we should treat each other in the body of Christ. Verse 5, five and 1 says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, But exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers. Verse 2, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Then Paul even makes it our responsibility to provide for our families as a priority, as a part of our faith. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Jesus knew then what, would be, what we would be dealing with now. He could, he could foresee that far ahead to understand what society would deteriorate down into itself. And so he left those instructions. You know, when Jesus gets a hold of your heart, typically he turns it inside out. He doesn't leave anything undone. We have to give him our whole heart, the Bible says. And then that's what he takes and turns it inside out and takes us from this narrowness of mind and self-absorption to one another. To one another. That which brings me to number four, practical one another's of the New Testament. And there were so many of these, I couldn't hardly slow down on them. So I just thought, well, I'm going to type them all right into that thing. And you guys can just make whatever notes you want. But this is what I call straight up biblical family counseling. And it's our responsibility to apply these and put them to work in our lives. So I'm not going to read all, the, all of these scripture references, but I am going to just touch on each one very briefly. Just Number one, love one another. We, we just talked about that. Number two, love one another deeply from the heart. Number three, serve one another in love. Number four, forgive one another, bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Number five, be devoted to one another. Number six, honor one another above yourselves. Number seven, live in harmony with one another. Number eight, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You can study all the scripture addresses that are there once you go home and kind of rummage through this a little bit. Number nine, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, that's tradition from back then. Whether you greet one another with a holy kiss, I think you probably ought to get the other person's permission first. Okay? Don't just walk up during the meet and greet and plant one on somebody. Okay? Um, Might be a little embarrassing. Amen? But this was, a, this was a tradition during this time. Be completely humble, number 10, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Number 11, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God, forgave you. Number 12, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We did that this morning. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. 13, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Number 14, teach and admonish one another. You know what admonish means? It means to bring correction. Don't just teach somebody, but help put them back on the straight and narrow if they've gone one way or the other in life. Number 15, encourage one another and build each other up. 16, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Number 17, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I like that little footnote there, without grumbling. Isn't that wonderful? Offer hospitality. Oh, I got that one. 18, last one of the bunch here. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I want to get me out of the way and let God be seen. Let his witness be there. Amen. And my last scripture reference in all of this, I I was reading the story of of David, and I thought about it as we were preparing to worship this, this, as I was working on that this week. First Chronicles 16, David is giving um, the priesthood the how-tos of how to worship before the ark, because the ark was what carried God's presence. Amen. And once David got everything squared away, all the rules and regulations, got all the teaching done, the last verse in verse 43 says he went home to bless his family. David was a great leader. He had his good days and he had his bad days. But the bottom line is King David was a great leader. And this scripture says he went home to bless his family. So for us today, as you've heard this word about family matters, let's learn to take that principle out with us, out of the house of God, and put it into action in our own lives. Amen? Wherever you're at in life, We need to learn to go home and begin to bless our families. Bless and not curse and love one another as Christ loved us. Amen? Now, as is my custom, we're going to finish up today with a video clip. Anybody ever heard of a group called the Eagles? If you're you're my age or just thereabouts, you've heard of the Eagles. Well, Joe Walsh is one of the guys in the band with the Eagles, and Joe's got quite a testimony. He was hooked on drugs and alcohol for almost 30 years and he'll, I've heard his, a little bit of his testimony. He doesn't come out as a Bible-thumping, Pentecostal preacher kind of guy, but Joe's not ashamed to share his testimony of how God took him out of alcohol and he's remained sober for another 30 years or so. I think Joe's pushing 70-something now. Everybody in the band is because they've been around that long. So I was listening to stuff, and this I don't know how I found this song, except just the Holy Spirit brought it to my attention. It's a secular song by a secular artist, and yet here we are at the end of the church service, and we're going to play it on the screen. But listen to the message. The title of this song is simply Family. Okay? Go ahead and play it, guys. Why don't you stand with me, if you would. I hope this word has helped you today, somehow, some way, kind of thing, encouraged you. Whatever your family situation is, um, I just I hope that you'll, when it comes to family matters, family struggles, family challenges, um, that you'll go back to the Word and you'll find out what God has to say to you about your family. Amen? Let's join our heads to, or bow our heads and join our hearts together today. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time in your house today. We are grateful not only for our physical human families, but we are grateful for the family of God that we belong to. Grateful, Lord, that we have this opportunity to come into your house 
and to lift our voices before you and to worship together and declare your goodness and your greatness in our lives. Lord, I pray for those that are maybe challenged on the home front a little bit. They're walking through things that they don't quite understand, but they understand you, Lord, that your word declares that you can be with them, you are for them, you're not against them, and you can change family circumstances to be for the better that will bring glory to your name. God, we're so grateful for that today. Help each and every person here, Lord, to go home and bless their family in some way. Bless their family and in turn to bless you. We're thankful for that today, Father God. Thank you again for this time today. And we give you all the praise and thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Lord, bless you guys. Have a great week. And we'll see you when we see you.